0: Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today is going to be a little different. Uh, some of you are probably scratching your head, wondering why I'm up here at this moment. This is not normally the time that I would come up to preach. Um, I want to go ahead and I, I want you to prepare your hearts for what's about to happen um, To receive from God's word. I believe God's gonna speak to us today, and I've really been praying hard about this series that we're entering into. The band is going to come back, and they're gonna come back and lead us in a worship set soon. But today I'm gonna begin a series called Blueprint for Worship. Blueprint for Worship, and I I just felt compelled by God to to teach this first, and then we'll go into worship. And I hope that that makes sense. I hope everybody in the room understands that because I think there's some groundwork that needs to be done and, and then we will enter into a time of worship. So don't think you're being cheated. You're, if, you, if you come to DCC for the music, and I know that some of you do, um, you're not being cheated today. You're gonna get just as many songs that you normally get, okay? If not more, okay? So don't, don't feel like you're being slighted in any way. Um, but I, I feel that this is very important for me to teach you about worship before we engage in worship. Amen? Now, we don't have to look any farther than our news feed to realize that the subject of politics has the potential to divide us. And I don't want anyone to get get nervous right now. I'm not not going there today, okay? I went there last Sunday. But um, it has the potential to divide us. But in the church, in the church world, For those that proclaim Christianity, the word worship has the potential to divide us. Hear me out. Because people develop different preferences as to what kind of church they want to attend. And listen, I am not saying that we are the best church. I know we're a great church. And I'm not saying that we have it all figured out and that we worship better than anyone else. That's not what this is about at all. As a matter of fact, it takes all different types of churches in the kingdom of God. And thank God that we have some that, that cater to different uh, preferences and styles. And, uh, and so when, when I talk about worship in, in, in this setting right here, as, as what I'm referring to with, with corporate worship and, and attending church services, we often refer to the Sunday morning service as worship. This is, this is a worship service, and so this is worship and, and people will find a church that, that, that fits their preference. And some people like the King James Version of the Bible. They do. They, they love the King James Version. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't ever say that you like the original King James Version of the Bible because that was 1611 and you can't read it. Trust me. I've, I've got a copy in my office and it doesn't make sense to you. The, the King James Version that, that we refer to today has been edited numerous times to make it easier for us to read. But some people prefer the King James Version of the Bible. I grew up on the King James Version of the Bible. So a lot of the, the scripture that I have committed to heart, to memory, is, is quoted from the King James Version because that's what I grew up on. Still, there's others that like the English Standard Version of the Bible. That's what I'm, I have right here is the English Standard Version. And, and still others like the, the NIV, the New International Version. And so they choose a worship service that fits that choice. Some people like to be taught. They like for a pastor to get up, a Bible teacher, and, and lecture them the entire time. And that's okay. Some people like to be preached to. They like someone to, to get with it and, and, and have some fire within it. I think sometimes I find myself balanced between the two, between a teacher and a preacher. And some people would rather not listen to a speaker at all, and, and they would rather spend the entire service just running the aisles. I mean, if you've ever been in a church service like that, it gets crazy. But, uh, but, but that's their preference. That's what they like. Some people prefer hymns. There's some of you that you prefer hymns. You grew up listening to hymns. And, and, and some people prefer a more contemporary, modern worship style. And, and some people show up after the music so that they don't have to sit through it. And they're going to be surprised today that I switched it up on them. <laughs> In my circle of influence, the pastors that, that I communicate with, that I sow into, they sow into me, there's many different styles of churches and worship services that I attend from time to time. Mandy is usually with me, and she can tell you that they're, they're a wide variety of churches that we visit from time to time, and I determined many years ago that I can adapt. I can, I can adapt. One of my favorite things to do is to go to an all-black church and preach, because they will preach me to death. And when you get them jump on the organ behind me, it's over, I'm telling you, it's fun stuff, man. But I can. I can adapt. And I might not worship exactly like they do, but I can find a way to worship. I can figure it out. If they're lifting up the name of Jesus Christ and they're calling him Savior and he's the Son of God, I can figure out a way to worship. That's the one thing that we have to get right. And if they get that right, I'll figure it out along the way and I can participate in worship. But in an effort to help us better understand what true worship looks like, over the next few weeks, I want to give us a blueprint for worship. This is very strategic. Matter of fact, I believe that over the next few weeks, God is going to reveal some things to us that you have never seen and you've never realized about worship. You've never realized this about your worship. Today is is going to be very foundational. But I can tell you that as the weeks progress, we are going to watch a structure build as we grow and build our worship. I believe that when we see it develop from the ground up, we will better understand it. And I know that in this room right now, we have some people who are very exuberant with their worship. Some of you may look at me sometimes and think, why does he do that? And we have some people who are more reserved in their worship, and that's okay. And I'm not saying that either way is right or wrong. However, I am saying that when not offered correctly, any worship style can be harmful. But when offered correctly, it can be extremely beneficial. I will also say that when not offered at all, it is unbiblical. Clap your hands, Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Sing a new song to the Lord, some of you that get stuck. On the old songs, you understand there is a command that says sing a new song to the Lord. And I believe that some people would engage in worship a little bit more if they understood it. This series has been at least two years in the making. And I feel like God has finally brought us to this place, in this room, to learn about what it means to worship him. In the study of theology, there's this rule that's referred to as the law of first mention. And in the law of first mention, uh, it, it, many theologians believe that to understand a particular word in the Bible or a particular practice in the Bible, you've got to go back to where it is first mentioned and allow it, uh, let that particular passage to develop the most clear and simple presentation and meaning of that particular word or practice. And although I have in the past and will in the future use the law of first mention as a study tool, I also understand that not every first mention in the Bible sets the ground rules for how a particular phrase or a particular word should be interpreted. At some point, context has to come into play. And so take, for instance, the word serpent. This has nothing to do with what I'm teaching today. I just want you to understand this, this law that we speak about, the law of first mention. So the word serpent in the Bible, it is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 3 and it's associated with the enemy of our souls, Satan, the great deceiver. And so when we first read of the word serpent in Genesis chapter 3, it's associated with Satan. But we cannot assume that every time the word serpent is mentioned that it is satanic. Because we know in Numbers 21 and 9 that God told Moses to make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole. And everyone in the community, when they would look up at that, they would be healed. We also know that in John chapter 3 in the New Testament that Jesus refers to this bronze serpent that was raised high on a pole in the wilderness. And and Jesus said that the Son of Man too must be lifted up. So we know that every time the word serpent is mentioned in the Bible that it, it, it doesn't hold the same value. It doesn't hold the same context. So context is very important in studying the scriptures. But in referencing worship, don't miss this church, in referencing worship I believe that the law was first mentioned is extremely significant in developing a blueprint for worship. The first place that we read about worship is when Abraham was taking his son Isaac to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him in obedience to God. If you don't know the story... uh, he, he prayed for this son. He longed for his son. God promised him a son. And finally, God gave him a son. And after the, the son got a little bit older, where he could actually follow his dad and follow in his footsteps and walk with him, he puts the firewood on the, on the son and says, you carry this, and, and we're going to Mount Moriah. And uh, God's going to provide for us a, a, a sacrifice. And, and if you remember the story, they go up onto the, the mountain, and uh, um, uh, Abraham... Is about to slay his son in obedience to God and worship to God. I know none of us can understand this; it, it blows our minds. But this is how obedient he was to God. But it was a test. God was testing him, and right before he kills his son, God provides a ram in the thicket, and and there together, father and son, they sacrifice a, a ram to the Lord. But in Genesis chapter twenty-two and verse five, we hear the word worship for the first time mentioned in the Bible, when. They are at the bottom of Mount Moriah before they go up, before God provides the sacrifice. They are at the bottom of the mountain, and and it says that, that Abraham told the servants, he said, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. And so he tells them, you stay here, but the boy and I are going to worship. The first mention of worship in the Bible, it involves a place of sacrifice, And although it did not cost Abraham his son, a sacrifice was still made. Therefore, according to the law of first mention, worship involves sacrifice. If you are going to worship God, there's going to be some form of sacrifice in that. It's going to cost you something. In March of 2008, there was a much smaller DCC family that decided that we were going to buy these 20 acres that this ministry center sits on right now, this campus, we decided in, in 2008 that we were going to purchase this land in order to, to build on in the future. Eight and a half years later, in the latter part of 2016, in the early part of 2017, site prep was initiated. And if you know anything about that, they started putting in the underground infrastructure for which this facility and our parking areas and all the drainage and everything involved with that would be built upon. Now, today, we get to enjoy this beautiful facility, understanding that none of this is possible without those 175 or so people that were willing to make that initial investment and that initial sacrifice. And at that moment, that was worship unto God when they were willing to make that sacrifice. And as we will see in this series, God gives a detailed blueprint of what worshiping him looks like But as with every great structure, worship begins with the purchase of something, a sacrifice, an investment of time, an investment of talent, or an investment of of treasure. It is a sacrifice, and worship requires that. I think the best groundwork that we could do is... To start this series is to realize that, that worship is going to cost us something. If you want to enter into true worship with God, it's going to cost you something. If you want to worship God today, it's going to cost you something. In the words of King David, how can I offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing? I can't offer anything to the Lord except that which costs me something. And you can't worship until it costs you something. John chapter 12 is our text today. And what I want to do with this series is I want to pull from the Old Testament and and parallel it with the New Testament. If we find a principle in the Old, I want to find it in the New Testament. So all through this series, we're going to be going back and forth with that. John chapter 12, I want to read verses 1 through 9 with you. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. And It reads, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold in the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. I love that this narration here is sandwiched between those two verses. That Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. And then you go down to verse 9, it says, When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead kind of sandwiched in there, he reminds us that this whole thing revolves around a miraculous act of love that he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. Have you ever watched someone worship and wonder why? Be honest, I have. You you see them and you wonder why. Why do you act like that when you worship? Why do you worship like that? Or, or, or how? How do they find the energy to worship the way that they do? I know there's a couple of people in our church. I won't say their names, uh, Kendall and Deanna. But they, they just have this way of worshiping that is exhausting to me. I mean, I'll watch them and I'm like... And sometimes Kendall looks like she's going to run off the front of the stage. And we're like, hold on, you know. How? How do people find that kind of energy... To worship. Not everyone is going to understand why you worship the way that you do. And if you're thinking, well, nobody judges the way that I worship. (laughs) Maybe they should. Not everyone will understand why you worship the way that you do. You see, Abraham's servants couldn't go up on the mountaintop because they didn't get it. He was being extremely obedient to a God that had provided a son for him. Promised him, your name will carry on. You will be the father of nations. Promised him this. But those servants at the bottom of the mountain, they were never going to understand this exuberant worship. It was extreme. Get to the New Testament and Judas, a a, a disciple of Christ... He questions this extreme act. In verse 5 he says, the perfume was worth a year's wages. Listen to what he says. He says, this perfume that she poured out on your feet, it's worth a year's wages. It it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus replies, he says, listen, you're going to have the poor with you always. If you want to give to them, Judas, you've got plenty of opportunity. The opportunity is there. You will have plenty of opportunity. But, but I'm not going to be here physically for you to worship forever. And you need to understand that. <clears throat> Excuse me. John lets us in on the secret though. The author of this book, John, lets us in on a secret. John tells us that Judas could care less for the poor. Don't miss this. This is so important. John lets us in on this little secret. He says Judas could care less about the poor. He used to help himself to the money bag. The ministry's money bag. The offerings. The finances. The donations that were received to fund the work of Christ and that movement. To make sure that the disciples could stay on the road with Jesus. To make sure they had somewhere to, to sleep, somewhere to, to get food or, or money to buy food. He used to help himself to that money bag. And John makes sure that we understand he doesn't have a heart for the poor. Usually the people who are critical, they don't have a heart for the, the cause because they don't understand everything that is being said and they don't understand the heart behind it to begin with. Usually when someone is critical of someone else's worship style, it's not really about the other person at all. It's usually a sign of guilt because rather than honoring God with their worship, they're dishonoring God with their lifestyle. And so we have to be careful before we start pointing the finger at the way somebody else worships. But let, let's get real, church. Let's, 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 let's really, I mean, if we're going to kick this thing off and we're, we're going to be real with each other and we're going to be transparent the person that's most offended by Judas was not Mary who poured out 12 ounces of expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. I mean, that's, that's who it's aimed at. But that's not the person that should be the most offended here. The one who has the right to be the most offended was Jesus. What was Judas saying about him? I mean, I can only think what Jesus is thinking at this moment. Am, am I not worth it, Judas? Am I, am I not worth twelve ounces of expensive perfume to be poured upon my feet? Am I not worth that extravagance? Am, am I more of a you know a one millimeter sample vial kind of God in your eyes? You know the kind. You remember, you remember the little vials of perfume and cologne you used to get, just enough to put a little behind the ear. And, <laughs> Is that all I'm worth to you, Judas? Is that it? You know, just a little dab will do. You worship. Is that it? Church, I'm coming at you today, okay? My wife will tell you, I used to be the one that would not engage in worship. But when you start realizing what God has done for you, When you start thinking about the moment that your wife had cancer and he healed you, the moment that you were losing one of the twins and he fixed it. Amen. Come on. When you think back to the day that you should have died on a jet ski and your daughter with you, but by the miraculous hand of God we didn't. When you start thinking about where you were lost in your sin, but today you're not. Suddenly a little a little dab of do you worship doesn't work anymore. In his open criticism of her extravagant worship, Judas was speaking more about how he felt about Jesus than he was about her. Be careful before you criticize someone else's worship. It reveals more about how much you devalue than what they value. And there's a reason why some people are extravagant with their worship. There's a reason why some of us in in the room look like we lose our minds sometimes. Because you can't judge someone else's worship when you don't know the war that they've been through. Mary had already lived through chapter 11 before we get to chapter 12. Do you remember chapter 11? You see, in chapter 11, her brother died. A good friend of God's. In chapter 11, God shows up too late. And in chapter 11, her and her sister question God. Chapter 11, you know when you're financially bankrupt and the funds just aren't there and you file for chapter 11 bankruptcy? Spiritual and emotional chapter 11 is something that's real also. When we are bankrupt from the joy and the happiness, they're depleted from our lives. And when that happens, you don't experience true worship Mary had already survived chapter 11. And so when we get to chapter 12 and it starts talking about her brother sitting at a dinner table, reclining and relaxing and shooting the breeze with Jesus on a Sunday afternoon, prepared to watch Sunday afternoon football like some of us will today. And of course, we know what team they were cheering for. The saints, because Jesus was sitting with him, right? 17 verses ago, Lazarus is dead. And 17 verses later, they have flipped the page and a new chapter has begun. Don't get stuck in your chapter 11. Because when you get stuck in your chapter 11, there's no joy in your heart. There's no praise from your lips. When you're stuck in chapter 11, you don't see what God is doing in your life. And you will not experience the fullness and the joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you will be weak until you experience a chapter 12 moment in your life. Mary had a reason to worship Jesus, and worship is going to cost you something. So don't get concerned when she walks in with 12 ounces of expensive perfume and says, I'm going to pour this on his feet. And you know what? It wasn't just that she was anointing his feet. It says that it filled up the whole room with the fragrance. Think about it, that hard ground, that hard dirt floor. It's going to seep into that floor and it's not going to evaporate anytime soon because it's covered. And every time they walk back into that house for weeks, they're going to smell that aroma. You know, the Bible says that our praise, our worship becomes an aroma in the nostrils of God at his throne. Mary had a reason to worship Jesus. I love how King David. Now, you know kings are supposed to be sophisticated. I didn't say presidents. I said kings. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, it just feels like the right time to. I love how David responded to his wife after she criticized how he worshipped as they brought in the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. The Bible says that he danced before the ark. As as this ticker tape parade, bringing the ark and worship, there's musicians, there's singers, there's dancers, and the king loses his mind in worship as he dances before the ark. I don't know how he danced. I don't know. I mean, he... I I, I don't know. I don't know how he did it. I don't know what it looked like. But David lost his, the king lost his mind. And when he gets home, his wife looks at him and starts criticizing him. That's not a way a a king should act. See, she had some experience with the king. Her, her, Her father was the previous king. She, she thought she knew how a king was supposed to act in public. David gets out and loses his mind. She's watching from the palace window. He gets home and she says, who do you think you are acting like that? A king shouldn't act like that. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 22, David responds to her and he says, I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. When it comes to encountering the presence of God, I will do whatever it takes. I will be exuberant with my worship. I will lose my mind in worship if that's what it takes for me to encounter God Almighty. And David knew what the Ark of the Covenant meant. The Ark of the Covenant that was following him it represented the very presence of God. Wherever it was is where the presence of God was. And so he walks ahead of it. His, his worship preceded the presence of God. Listen, if you, want the worship, if you want the presence of God in your life, worship will have to precede that. You will have to put forth a sacrifice of prayer, even when you don't feel like it sometimes. Sometimes you may have to lose your dignity just so you can experience the presence of God. And, and, And I've I've figured this out, okay? And there may be more, but this is what I think, okay? people become extravagant with their worship for, for one of two reasons. The first one is this. They've been through hell and there was another one in the fire with them and they realized it and they have no choice but to worship him. Or two, they are currently drowning in trouble and they need him to come and hold back the waters. And so they start praising and worshiping and calling out to him. And, and, and this is what is, is a, there's appreciative praise and there's an anticipative praise. And In an appreciative praise, you, you, you praise him for what he has already done in your life. How many of you have something that you can praise God that he's already done in your life? Amen? Amen? Yeah. But then there's that, that, that praise, that worship that anticipates. How many of you have something in your life that you need him to do? That you need the presence of God to show up? I, I, I mean, sometimes I get down here and I just start worshiping because I need God to do something. And both of these types of praises are appreciated and accepted by God. And it might cost you your dignity. It might cost you your feelings. I'm really trying to stay out of politics today. I really am. I don't I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, listen to me, which side of the aisle you're on, if you can lose your mind over a presidential candidate, you better figure out a way to lose your mind over worshiping God. Amen. One of our administrative council members, BJ Vaden, and I was teaching recently on a Wednesday night, and, and BJ and Tequila were watching online, and I said something, I don't remember what I said It wasn't a, that significant and, and BJ Piped in and, and posted a comment there And it stuck with me Because when he, when he posted it, it said this His comment said Praise is different when it costs you something Don't judge my praise When you didn't walk my path and feel my pain Don't judge my worship When you didn't fight my war Church, I've got a reason to worship him. I've got a reason to worship him. I need the presence of God in my life. And so you might not get it. You might not understand why I raise my hands, why I clap my hands, why I shout unto God, with voice of triumph. You may not get it, but I'm not doing it for you. There is an audience of one that desires my attention, and we have this, this, this tool. You guys can come on up. Come on up and get set. Get ready. We've got this tool that God designed, by the way, music oh trust me I know that that worship true worship in spirit and in truth it's, it's, it's more than just music but it does include music all throughout God's word see David was a musician David played the harp David knew how to sing David wrote some beautiful songs. And so when the band struck that first chord as the ark was coming into Jerusalem, it moved something within him. And he knew that he wanted to experience the presence of God in Jerusalem. I've been there. We've been there. As soon as we got out of the bus and our feet touched the ground in Jerusalem, I knew the presence of the Lord was there. To this day, it's there. And my prayer is that we will not all worship alike, but that we will all put forth a sacrifice of praise that even when you don't feel like it, you will praise him. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.